Good morning. Let's go. All right. My name is Stephen. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, I'm the lead pastor here. It's good to have everyone. Welcome to Redemption City Church. We are in a series called My Life is a Mess. What we're doing is evaluating uh, the messes that we get ourselves in, but way more important than that, how to find grace in the middle of the mess. We know what we don't need in the mess. Uh, we don't need friends that abandon us. We don't need religious rhetoric or empty phrases. We don't need condemnation or guilt. We need to find grace in the middle of the mess so that Jesus can raise us up out of it. We can walk out of it as new creations in Christ. And so uh, two weeks ago, we set up this series and we gave ourselves a filter for how to evaluate any mess that we might find ourselves in. Uh, and then we applied that filter to the different areas. And the filter was to first remember the gospel, to be reminded of who Jesus is and what he did for you. And then to evaluate yourself based upon that and ask, hey, is there anything in me that needs to change? And then to surround yourself with good people and to make a plan moving forward. And so now we're applying that to the different areas of our lives. And this morning, uh, we're going to look at an area that is near and dear to everybody's heart. In fact, according to the scriptures, it's more near and dear to our hearts, really, than anything else. Some of you already know what I'm talking about. When I was 12, I started my first business. Started selling Coke out of my, uh, my locker at school. The pop, not the drug, okay? Just to clarify. So I started selling pop out of my locker at school. By the time I was in eighth grade, I had two employees and was running a vivacious business out of the school cafeteria. The last day of school was the best day because they would come over and we would dance in $1 bills that we had collected over the year. And then we'd pass out all of our distributions. Uh, the other day, I looked at an old... Uh, um, uh, so an area where I had a bunch of stuff from my past and pulled it out and I saw the uh, stock that we had issued uh, to people. We allowed them to buy a percentage of the company. And so I saw the first stock slip that I had created in like eighth grade. Uh, shares were $2.50 at the time. Now they're worth millions. And so just kidding, they're not. And um, over the years, my relationship with money uh, has ebbed and flowed like many of us has. Like, you know, ebbed and flowed as in like sometimes I have it, sometimes I don't, right? And uh, the worst or the messiest it got was I was, uh, when I was in my early 20s, uh, I was addicted to online gambling. And so I was playing with my tuition money and it got at its lowest worst point when I took out a credit card loan in order to play online poker. Lost it all, and uh, one day I walked into the house, and my dad had a nice piece of paper from City, and he said, what is this? <laughs> I said, well, that's the credit card loan that I took out because I'm addicted to online gambling, and I'm paying $108 a month and 22% interest on. Now, I have a great dad and mom, so they, uh, they paid it off for me, so I didn't have to pay 22% interest. I, of course, paid them back, and... Um, by God's grace, that's the last time I've been in debt outside of my mortgage uh, since then, 11 years later. Now, in all of the areas of my life, as I look and say how God has changed me, it's probably this area the most. When I was a freshman in college, I um, was an international business and a political science major. And people say, why are you doing that? I was like, well, because I want to be a billionaire and run for president. Like that would ever happen, right? That's a joke. You're allowed to laugh. Okay, all right. Um, and because that was my goal in life. That was my dream. 
And I've seen God change that in my heart over the years. What I want to talk to you this morning about is not the practical steps to get you out of your mess. There are those. We'll get to them a little bit at the end and we'll give you some next steps. But I want to talk about that. What I want to talk about is what does the gospel have to say about your money and how you view it? And why is it that Jesus talked about it more than anything else in the scriptures? Because he knew it would have a tendency more than anything else to control us and to define us. In fact, we're very good at defining people based upon how much they make or what they drive or what they wear or where they live. And the gospel is to teach us something different, something so freeing, something that is completely outside the norm of reality. For those of you who are new, I work um, outside of the church. This is uh, 32 hours a week for me, and I I pursue income outside of the church. And uh, part of that role has landed me in this place where I'm a part of this fundraising thing. And so I'm being introduced to very high-end people in town. I met with one of them the other day, and he casually slipped this into conversation. You know, I have nine cars. You know, I own the largest house in Lucas County. I don't know how you casually slip that into conversation, but he did. He managed to slip both of those into the conversation. He definitely wanted me to know that. I don't know if he wanted me to be impressed or intimidated. I was neither, because that's not what life's about. And that's what I want to get to this morning. What if, what if, from here on out, your financial life was not motivated by either comparison or fear. Can I ask that again? What if from here on out, your financial life was not motivated by either comparison or fear? Oh, how would that change things? So let's look at this story Jesus gives. It's a really long one, so I can't read it all to you. So I'm going to have to give you some spark notes on it. But we'll start at the beginning. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So this is probably a younger brother who back in that culture got way less of the inheritance than the older brother. And so he's kind of angry about this. So he goes, oh, I'll go to Jesus. He will fix this. And so he shows up to Jesus. He says, Jesus, you're all about equality and fairness, right? How about you tell my brother to split the inheritance with me 50-50? Guy probably thought this was a brilliant idea. Jesus responds directly to the man. He says, man, Who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? In other words, he's saying this. That's not my job. Another way of saying is this. That's not what I do. You don't come to me to satisfy your selfish materialistic desires. That's not what I do. There's a thing, it's popular today. It's called the prosperity gospel. What the prosperity gospel does He basically looks at God as a banker in the sky and says, if I do this or I pray this or I say these magic words, you send me money. It's unfortunately very popular. I think this is a clear repudiation of it. He says, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? Who made me the person who steps in to dictate you getting what you want financially? 
I'm not telling you not to pray about your finances. We should pray about everything. I'm not telling you not to ask God for a job or whatever else. He's your father. He loves you. But we don't treat God as a banker or the lotto. Then Jesus stops and he looks out at the whole crowd. He doesn't just address the man. Now he looks at everybody and he says, let me teach you all something. So this guy brought it up. And see, so Jesus begins to dig underneath. You know what Jesus doesn't look at that guy? He goes, hey, listen, man, if you just follow these six financial plan uh, steps, the, the amount you're getting from your family, you'll be okay and you can still be wealthy. He doesn't say that. This is what he says. He says, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. Jesus looks at the man and he goes, I know exactly what this is about. You're coveting what your brother has. How much of our financial mess is a direct result of covetousness or comparison? You bought that house for those exact reasons, or the car, or the clothes, or fill in the blank. You bought earlier than you should have, even though you hadn't saved because you wanted it now. It's often said that people in my generation, I'm 31 and, and younger, that we want what our parents got in 30 years and three. And so it drives us to make really foolish financial decisions. It's not hard to covet. That's why he says, take care. In other words, guard your, and he says, and protect yourself. In other words, he says, think, take care, think, and protect yourself from falling into this covetousness trap from this comparison trap. You know when I know I'm in this? When I think to myself, my 20-year high school reunion is coming up, and I think to myself, I'm only going to go if I've made X amount. Oh, then I know I'm deep in the trap. Why? Because I'm beginning to build my identity based upon what I've made. What about you? I mean, what financial decisions have you made? And if you really look down at the heart of them, they were, they, were, they were driven out of comparison or some type of covetousness. Coveting that house, that salary, that lifestyle, those vacations. And Jesus says, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. He says, watch out for this trap because it's a trap that never ends. Never ends. We know this, most of us know this simply by life experience. I mean, when I was 20 and I got my first job, I made $1,000 a month. And you know what I thought to myself? I will never have to worry about money again. That's what I thought. I make more than that now, thank God. And you know what the tendency is now? Or the tendency with anyone? Let's just take an example. You have one guy makes 50, what's he doing? He's standing here and he's looking at the guy making 100 thinking, oh, but if I was just there. And you know what else he's doing? He's looking at the guy making 25 thinking, but at least I'm not that. And what's the person who's making 100 doing? Well, at least I'm not the guy making 50, but look at that guy making 250. And you know what the guy that's making 250 is doing? And the guy that's making 50 is looking all the way up at the guy making 250. And you know what the guy's making 50 calls the guy that's 250? Rich. And you know what the guy that's making 250 does? Man, I'm not rich. I know this guy who's making millions. And it's a constant game of comparison, and it's a constant game of at least I'm not that, but maybe someday I can get to that. Look what Jesus says next. 
I love, Jesus doesn't just tell us things, he tells us why. So he goes on to say this, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Now, when Jesus says one's life, he's not just saying the things that pass your day. He's saying your very existence, the very nature of who you are, your identity does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. Let me give you a metaphor. Imagine two people are out golfing and they're playing this delightful game of golf and they get to the end of this game of golf and the two individuals are done and and one of them looks at the other and says, hey, what was your score? And he says, a hundred. And then he, he looks at the other guy and says, what was your score? And he goes, 72. Now, if you know anything about golf, you want the lower score to win. And imagine that the guy who has the 100 looks at the guy with the 72 and he goes, ha ha, I won. And the guy with the 72 would go, what do you mean you won? And he goes, I had more strokes. I, I, I beat you, I win. And the guy with 72 would go, no, 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 no. That's not how golf works. You're playing the wrong game. You're keeping score the wrong way. And the guy with the 100 would look back and he would say, well, if I would have known that, I would have done everything differently. Jesus then would have happened in that moment. He goes, exactly. Had you known how to keep score properly when it comes to your finances, you would do everything differently. You're keeping score the wrong way way, Jesus says. Let me tell you what today is not about. Today is not about, are you out of debt? So I'm not in a mess. Today is not about, are you out of debt and giving? Today is not about, are you out of debt and tithing? Check, check, I'm good. My finances are not a mess. That's not what today is about because you can be out of debt. You can have your 401k maxed out. You can have your you know, rainy day fund and you can be tithing and you can still be driven by covetousness. Maybe you'd learn to administrate it better, but your heart hasn't changed. Jesus doesn't care about your tithe. He doesn't care about your your, uh, financial picture and whether or not it lines up to what all the experts say. What he cares about is your heart. Those other things will happen after that changes. He's saying this, are you keeping score the right way? And if you are, it would change everything. He told them a parable. Now he just wants to prove his point. So he's going to say, okay, let me tell you a story just in case y'all didn't understand what I just said. So story time with Jesus goes like this. The land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. He does not get condemned for, being, for having land. He does not get condemned for being rich. He does not get condemned for building large barns. He does not get condemned for producing plentifully. He does not even get condemned for producing plentifully and for storing stuff in those big barns that he built. None of those things is he condemned for. But look at this next statement. And I will say to my soul, whoa, hold on. 
What a jump. He went from, I'm just going to build a barn to put all my stuff in. Like he basically just went in and, you know, he bought a bigger house so he could store everything that was in his garage or, or he got one of those, you know, little units where you can put things in. To, he went from that or he opened up another bank account. And he went from that, making that decision. And then the job Jesus makes is this. Then he will say to his soul, what will he say to his soul? Soul, you have enough laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be happy. Be happy. Jesus is attacking this mindset that you can one day make or have enough where you can find rest for your soul. And he's saying, you'll never have enough if that's where you're looking for it. It'll never be enough. Why do we lay up things for many years, by the way? Jesus addresses it in the next story. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. I could continue to go on. But he jumps down. I'll jump down 10 verses. He says this, fear not, little flock. What does Jesus do immediately when he gets done with this story? He goes right into another one and he reveals the other motivator of the way we deal with our finances, fear. Fear. Fear-based financial is, is this. Well, uh, uh, you know, we, we might get sick and, 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 and the market might crash and, and, and we might get an accident and this might happen and this might happen and this might happen and so I'm gonna store, 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 store. And it's always driven by fear and you can never have enough because you can always imagine some kind of cataclysmic event that's gonna come in and wipe you out. Or it's a fear of I'm not gonna be able to do enough or it's a fear of I'm not going to be enough. If I don't make X amount. So Jesus, in one little story, I think he reveals the two things that drives our financial decisions outside of the gospel. Covetousness and fear. Comparison and fear. Imagine a scenario where we, we line up two people. They both make the same amount of money and they have the um, same amount of uh, school debt. Okay, we'll say none. And, and so they're on equal playing field. And, and on one hand, you have this person and they hear a sermon about uh, generosity. And, and they go and this is what they think to themselves. I can't do that. I don't make enough. I got this and this and this and this and this, right? And then you got somebody on the other side. Okay, same salary, same whatever, right? And they're over here and they hear uh, uh, a talk on generosity. You know what they think to themselves? I could probably give more. I could probably give more. They're already giving more, but they think to themselves, I could probably give more. What's the difference? What's the difference? 
This person over here is still outside of the gospel and they're being driven by this covetousness and comparison and fear game. And they think to themselves, someday I'll be generous. And the truth is this, that day and that amount will never arrive. You will never administrate yourself to a place of generosity. You will be transformed by the gospel and no matter how much you make, it will be enough. You can make 30 or 300,000 a year and be right here or you can make 30 or 300,000 and be right here. Excel does not produce generosity. The gospel does. It says to his soul, soul, you have enough. Later for many years, relax, eat, drink, be happy. You've made it. You will never make it. You will never make it. God said to him, fool, fool. This night your soul is required of you and the thing you have prepared, whose will they be? In other words, he says, fool, tonight, tonight all that you have stored up, it will be measured and, the, and you'll see if it's enough to actually satisfy you and it won't, it'll be gone and you'll realize you're left with nothing. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself. and is not rich toward God. Jesus is laying out two ways to live. Covetousness or comparison, greed, materialism, whatever word you want to fill in the blank, and fear, that's one way. Outside of the gospel. By the way, if you are like, you know, I'm a Christian and you're still living like this, you have a gospel issue that you need to deal with. You can be in relationship with Christ and not have surrendered this. And if you're still being driven by, and then Jesus will say, you haven't learned how to keep score yet properly. And then he says, there's another way. What's the other way? If it's not, see, in the gospel, we never just stop something. We stop and replace. That's how the gospel works. It's never just get rid of, it's get rid of and replace. And so covetousness and fear has to become something and it goes through this little gospel flip and it comes out something on the other end. You know what it is? Covetousness in the gospel flips over to contentment and fear flips over to trust. So how do you do this? He says, take care and, be, and guard. How do you do this? Covetousness is this desire inside of you that is never satisfied. It's never satisfied with what you drive, what you wear, where you live, what you make. And the contentment arrives at this place that says, what I have in the cross, what I have in here because of what Christ did, and the scripture uses this term, he who was rich became poor so that we might become rich. Jesus is even in, in the terminology combating our earthly mindset. He says, you are rich. You're rich in me. The only way covetousness turns to contentment is if we are so satisfied with what we have in the cross, what we have in Christ, what our identity is in the gospel, that we can look out and say, because of what is so strong inside of me of what Jesus did, what's out there doesn't matter anymore. 
saved. It's the only way to freedom. It's the only way to get to a place where you say, this thing that controls everything that we do no longer controls me. I'm not telling you to be financially stupid and to make poor decisions. I'm saying arrive at a place where what's out there no longer drives you because you're so satisfied in Jesus. You've looked at the cross so deeply. You've been so overcome by what he did that nothing out there can come into you and make you feel better. No new house, no car, no amount. The other one is fear flipping into trust. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Lean not into your own understandings. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. We've all heard this one. We've all quoted this one. You know what the next two verses are about? Money. No one quotes those ones. We stop at six and we're like, trust them, trust them, trust them. Yes, trust him. You know what the next two, but they're about money. They're about money. You know what Solomon was saying in that passage? He was saying, trust him so much, you trust him with your finances because then you really know you trust him. So fear goes through this gospel flip and you just arrive at a place of trust. You know what trust does? It brings peace. It means you're not looking at the, the market every day going, oh no, oh no, yes, go, hoo, 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 hoo. Especially the last couple of weeks. Gee. Trust says, okay, God, I'm here right now and I trust where you'll take me next. Trust and contentment do not mean you just stop caring. They don't mean you make poor financial decisions. They just mean that you're driven by something different underneath. Jesus, he's brilliant. And so he ends both of these stories with two statements that I want to end us with today. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. That's the first one. He says, some of us, the one way to live is to be rich toward yourself. The other way to, to, to live is to be rich toward God. Be rich toward God. So what does it mean to be rich toward God? Well, first, of course, it means that I've found all of my content, contentment so deeply in Christ that I don't need these other things anymore. I'm so content in Christ now, and I'm not driven by these other things. So now I can be rich toward God. I can be rich toward the things that God is rich towards. What does that mean? It means you begin to love the things that God loves. What does God love? He loves his church. He calls it his bride. He loves, um, he loves his people. He calls them his family. He loves the lost. He'll do what he can to reach them. So when you're rich, not towards yourself, but you're rich toward God, you begin to love what he loves. And you begin to be rich toward him in those areas. For where your treasure is, he ends this one, for the next one, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know, you hear a lot of times in Christian speak, well, you can't evaluate someone's heart. Well, there's a lot of truth to that. 
As I was thinking about this sermon, I think this week, I think this is the one area where God says, yeah, but you can't measure one thing. Jesus says, I'll tell you what you value. Jesus goes, I'll tell you what you value. Show me what you spend. I'll tell you what you value. We love to make excuses for this kind of thing. I think Jesus says, no, no, listen, money is a value statement. It always is. Every time we interact with money, it's a value statement. It's worth a dollar. That pop is worth more to me than this dollar. I'll give you the dollar. You give me the pop. This car is worth $100,000. It's a nice car. It's always a value statement. Always. And so I think Jesus here is just saying, let's just have an honest evaluation of your values. Let's just be honest about it. What is Jesus getting at here? I think he's saying, do you see a picture of your life? Of your life where this thing that controls everybody else no longer controls you. Well, you're free from it. You're free from it. You don't ever buy again just because you want to look good to that person. You don't spend another night freaking out because you trust them and you're free. And you know what free people do? Man, they're generous and they're kind and they're loving and they're free. So here's my conclusion. I'm just gonna ask you the two statements that Jesus ended with. Right now, who are you being rich towards? Who are you being rich towards? And second, what does the honest evaluation reveal? Verse 